I'm Tracy Sable. Tonight on EWTN News Nightly, the top stories of 2023. Remembering Pope Benedict XVI. At the start of the new year, Joseph Ratzinger is laid to rest at St. Peter's. The Pope uh, and I are on the same page. Holding leaders accountable. Our reporting from the White House at Capitol Hill covered the abortion issue, a contentious speaker election, and more. Making sense of the Synod. The Synod on Synodality's first general assembly wrapped in Rome. What you need to know about our Vatican coverage. Plus, the Catholic news headlines that we are still talking about. Our panel of Catholic journalists look back on the stories that shaped the church this year. These stories and more tonight. From EWTN, the Global Catholic Network, this is EWTN News Nightly. Thank you for being with us as we look back at the top stories of 2023. The year began on a somber note as Pope Benedict XVI was laid to rest in Rome, and the news cycle did not slow down from there. Tonight, we begin with our White House coverage from this year. Our team looks back on covering the Biden administration, including one-on-one -on -one interactions with the nation's second Catholic president and how they pressed him on matters of faith and beyond. White House correspondent Owen Jensen has that report. At the start of 2023, just days after Pope Benedict XVI died at the age of 95, I caught up with President Joe Biden on the South Lawn of the White House. What did Pope Benedict mean to you as a Catholic? Well, I, I had an opportunity to spend some time with Pope Benedict, a couple hours, and, uh, and uh, he uh, was a great, and reminded me going back to theology class. We spoke about Aquinas and about Summa Theologica and the whole way. I found him to be uh, uh, relaxing, very rational, and uh, he was more conservative view within the Catholic realm than I have, and closely with Pope the president both in terms of his philosophy, his view. Well, I, I, I admired him. I thought he was a fine man. You're not attending his funeral tomorrow, though. Why? Uh, well, why do you think? Well, you tell me. Uh, you know why. I can't. You can tell me, sir. Uh, the reason I'm not attending the funeral tomorrow is because it takes an entourage of 1,000 people to show up, not literally. But if we, would, if we would move everything in the wrong direction. I inquired about it. And the people are sending mostly their apostolic delegates the folks in Rome, that's what we're going to do. We were just getting away. But I, I made my views known. I, anyway, I think he's a fine man. Thank you, sir. Fast forward to March of 2023. A gunman killed three children and three adults at the Covenant School in Nashville, Tennessee. And on the South Lawn, I had this exchange with the president. Sir, do you believe, sir, do you believe that Christians were targeted in the Nashville school shooting? Do you believe that Christians were targeted? I have no idea. Josh Hawley believes they were. What do you say to that? Well, I probably don't then. <laughs> probably don't then. I'm joking. No, I have no idea. Fast forward again, this time to June of this year, as President Biden left for Chicago for a speech. He responded to my question concerning the Defense Department's very controversial abortion policy that pro-life Senator Tommy Tuberville of Alabama says is illegal and demanded be rescinded. Mr. President, Mr. President. Senator Tuberville. Sir, Senator Tupperville is not budging on Pentagon promotions. Pe Senator Tupperville is not budging on Pentagon promotions. He's not budging. I understand from my colleagues. Totally inappropriate. He's outrageous. But he says the Defense Department should not be paying for abortion travel. Your response? 
Vice President Kamala Harris is spearheading the administration's pro-abortion push. She traveled to more than a dozen college campuses this year to promote what she calls reproductive rights. And the president and vice president have appeared together with abortion providers at rallies. But pro-life groups decry the effort to kill unborn babies. Susan B. Anthony, Pro-Life America, writes, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, and their pro-abortion allies in Washington are determined to use the White House to force taxpayer funding of abortion at home and abroad. And speaking of international issues, in late October of this year in the South Court Auditorium, after he finished some remarks, I was able to ask President Biden about an earlier phone call he had with Pope Francis concerning the war between Israel and Hamas. Pope Francis spoke with you yesterday. You spoke with Pope Francis by phone yesterday. I did. How did that conversation impact you? What did you take away from that, the conversation with Pope Francis? Well, that's just one question. It, the Pope uh, and I are on the same page. He... Uh, he was very, very interested in what we were doing to deal with some of the crises we're facing, particularly in Israel this time around. And I laid out to him what the game plan was, how we thought we should uh, be providing the kind of assistance to Israel they needed. And the Pope was uh, across the board supportive of what we we're doing. And as 2024 arrives, more questions await. Owen Jensen, EWTN News Nightly. Our Catholic coverage continued in the halls of Congress as Capitol Hill correspondent Eric Rosales tracked down lawmakers asking them tough questions on issues ranging from abortion to immigration and beyond. As Eric reports, it was another divisive year in our nation's capital. Good evening. On Capitol Hill, 2023 was a year like no other, from debt limit fights to a near-government shutdown to impeachment investigations to even Republicans fighting with themselves on who to pick as Speaker of the House. I don't see how a few people, maybe it's five, maybe it's 20, sit because they want a gavel that they can't earn by the conference of themselves. That would be interesting to me. That's not what the constituents voted him for. It went 15 rounds before Speaker Kevin McCarthy took the gavel. Republicans soon passed two major pro-life bills. One requires all infants born after attempted abortions to get medical care. The other condemns violence against pro-life facilities. House Democrats let their feelings be known. As Democrats, we believe in a woman's freedom to make her own reproductive health care decisions, period. Full stop. Classified documents were found inside President Joe Biden's garage and later at former President Donald Trump's home in Mar-a-Lago, ending with Trump's indictment and an ongoing investigation of the president. Meanwhile, the illegal migrant crisis heated up. This is ridiculous. We had, we had never had a month where we had 200,000 illegal border crossings. We've never had that before. We had eight months in a row this year. We had the worst November we have ever had. And being from Texas, what Joe Biden has done is made every state a border state. Congress fought over funding for the war in Ukraine and the investigation into Biden's family's business dealings with foreign nationals took center stage. We're continuing to dig. Uh, we've, the positive thing is we had uh, four people that were affiliated with the Biden family influence peddling that have come to us this week, either them individually or through their attorneys, uh, offering to cooperate with our investigation. So we're making progress. Congressional Democrats doubled down on abortion, wanting to use tax dollars to pay for them in other countries. What would you want to tell the critics that say that the unborn child has rights as well? I would say that the people who have rights are the ones who 
whose body being affected. So again, a private medical decision. And if people are talking about being pro-life, then that life should happen too after the child is born. Meanwhile, Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville continued his hold on military nominations and the Defense Department's abortion policy, allowing tax dollars to fund abortion-related travel expenses. I'm, I'm not changing for a voting committee or possibility that Schumer might put it on the floor or possibility that that uh, if it did pass, that the president wouldn't sign it. I mean, it makes no sense. So we're going to keep the holes on. Meanwhile, attacks on Catholic churches continued, not investigated by the FBI, leading to congressional hearings. But who they were going after were pro-life Catholics. Pro-life people, pro-life people in the Catholic Church. You can tell because some of the footnotes talk about in the aftermath of the Dobbs decision. Millions enrolled in President Biden's student loan repayment plan only to be thrown out by the U.S. Supreme Court. And a government shutdown is averted in the last minute. But the agreement spelled the end for Speaker McCarthy. Well, I have enough Republicans where at this point next week, one of two things will happen. Kevin McCarthy won't be the Speaker of the House, or he'll be the Speaker of the House working at the pleasure of the Democrats. At the end of the day, keeping government open and paying our troops was the right decision. I stand by that decision. At the end of the day, if I have to lose my job over it, so be it. After several failed attempts to find a new Speaker, Louisiana Congressman Mike Johnson took the gavel. As lawmakers react to the Hamas attacks on Israel, some question the Biden administration's actions to get Americans out safely outrageous. We should have military planes landing uh, in, in, uh, in throughout Israel and, and picking up Americans and bringing them to safety. And that should be it. That should have began immediately. While the pace on Capitol Hill slows down during the holidays, lawmakers really never stop battling. Oh, what a year at the Capitol. Eric Rosales, EWTN News Nightly. We're joined now by Loretta Brown, Washington correspondent for the National Catholic Register, who has been tracking the stories out of the White House, Capitol Hill, and beyond. Loretta, great to have you on today. Uh, looking back at the White House this year, what have been the most aggressive pro-abortion action or actions taken by the Biden-Harris administration? Well, Tracy, I, I think right out of the gate in January, we saw really aggressive action with permitting retail pharmacies to dispense ab the abortion pill that provided wider access to these abortion pills amid serious safety concerns with them. And so that was something just in January we saw. And then um, later in the year, we also we saw that there was a proposed rule change to the HIPAA privacy rule around healthcare information that um, would have information about reproductive health, including abortion, be permitted to like not be shown to law enforcement officials in some cases, which would make pro-life laws in the states harder to enforce. Um, so that was a, a pretty aggressive action as well this year. And there was also, we just saw a continuation, right, of the policies that were put in place post-Dobbs, um, including, I mean, there's a, a government website now with, with resources on where to find an abortion. Um, so all of that has continued, and it's just certainly been very aggressive on that front from the Biden administration. Loretta, we have maybe about a minute or so left, but I do want to get to this question. Um, as you know, we still have a long way to go until the 2024 election, and Donald Trump does remain the GOP frontrunner right now. Um, what have been the main points of debate among the other GOP candidates? Yeah, well, the debate, I think, that really stuck out to me this year was over a federal limit on abortion. 
Um, and the candidates, they're all over the map on that, frankly. So it was just interesting to see those discussions happening. Um, you know, we had Ron DeSantis backing a 15-week federal limit, while candidates like Nikki Haley, um, she'll say, oh, you know, she'll sign any limit that comes to her, her desk. But um, she talks about the, the reality of Congress not being in a place where they would pass a federal abortion limit. And then candidates like Chris Christie saying, well, let's leave it up to the states. He's not going to commit to a, a federal limit. So certainly that's a discussion I'm going to be continuing to watch very closely is the the around a federal abortion limit and, and where the candidates ultimately will land on that as the um, the amount of candidates <laughs> grows smaller. Well, Loretta, so much more we can talk about. So much that has happened. We have to wrap it up right now. Thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate it. God bless. Thank you, Tracy. And we have a lot more still to come here on EWTN News Nightly, including following Francis from the Vatican to Mongolia to Portugal. Our team has followed the Holy Father around the globe. Get an inside look at the top Vatican stories this year. Thanks for staying with us. From Lisbon to the Synod, our EWTN News Vatican correspondent Colin Flynn has been traveling alongside Pope Francis every step of the way this year. We look back now at 2023's top Vatican news stories. The year started off on a somber note with the funeral of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. He had died on New Year's Eve 2022, and in just the first few days of January, thousands of faithful streamed through St. Peter's Basilica to pay their last respects. Just after his passing, I sat down with Cardinal George Pell to talk about his memories of the late Pope where he remembered fondly his visit to Sydney for World Youth Day in 2008. We had something like 400,000 at the vinyl mass. And after communion, I could hear the birds singing. A wonderful moment of uh, recollection and, uh, and adoration and prayer. And just a few days later, Cardinal Pell too passed away. Then later that year, World Youth Day took over the ancient city of Lisbon in Portugal, a sign of the renewal of the church. I travelled to Lisbon before the event to talk to people about the build-up to the week. Bring it down a bit so that the cost will go down as well. There was so much to do and not enough time. And many sceptics were critical, saying the Portuguese should not be hosting a Catholic church event of this scale and that the numbers would not come. My advice would be... Uh, come, we'll find you a solution. When the week did arrive, the scenes were incredible, as over 1.5 million people from all over the globe travelled to the city to celebrate their faith. Personally, it was my first World Youth Day, and the energy and enthusiasm of the young people I met is something that is hard to describe. Pope Francis finished by telling the crowd that they represented hope for the future. Gracias. Sigan adelante. Pope Francis himself had a busy year and at 87 years of age and with the aid of a wheelchair, it is obvious that international travel is not getting any easier for him. Despite that, he continued to reach out to those in the peripheries, 
including in August an 11-hour trip to Mongolia in Central Asia. The Pope's visit to this in many parts impoverished land was a way to reassure the tiny Catholic population that the Church hasn't forgotten them and is close by their side. Our EWTN crew spent two weeks in Mongolia documenting the Church and how it has been growing slowly even in the rural nomadic parts of the country, despite suspicion, fear and misconceptions. At the end of his three-day visit, the Pope acknowledged the Chinese Catholics in the crowd, who had made significant sacrifices and taken risks to travel to Mongolia to see the Holy Father. Well, Catholic is the, the, for the whole world. So you think your faith is more important? Uh, yes, exactly. At the end of his final Mass in Ulaanbaatar, he told them to return to China and be faithful Catholics and citizens. Finally, as well as Pope Francis going out from the Vatican to the rest of the world, the rest of the world came to Pope Francis at the Vatican, when in October over 450 priests, bishops, nuns and lay people came to Rome for the Synod on Synodality. The month-long meeting was an opportunity for the Universal Church to come together under one roof and talk about important issues facing the Church today. Pope Francis again and again emphasized the importance for those in the Church to listen to each other and listen for the voice of God. In Rome, Colm Flynn, EWTN News Nightly. Up next on EWTN News Nightly, providing the Catholic perspective. From Sister Wilhelmina to Bishop Strickland, a roundup of 2023's top Catholic headlines with our EWTN News partners. Welcome back to tonight's special edition as we look back at the top stories of 2023. Our Catholic news team has been busy all year long covering headlines from across the globe. We're joined now by two people who helped to lead our coverage. Shanna Mullen, Editor-in-Chief of the National Catholic Register, and Kelsey Wicks, Executive Director of the Aussie Group, a service of EWTN. Shanna, I want to begin with you. Um, this year began with Pope Benedict XVI's funeral in Rome. What do you think he'll be remembered for the most? What do you think his legacy will be? I think first in the short term it'll be his resignation in 2013. Uh, it was such a big deal. It was the first time that it happened in 600 years. Uh, relatedly, I think people are going to remember him for his retirement years, the, the quiet retirement he he led. Uh, Pope Francis uh, came to think of him as a, a grandfather, wise grandfather in the Vatican. Um, but I think in the long term, what he's going to be remembered for is uh, for being a, a consummate teacher, a clear writer. Um, he left behind a prodigious amount of, of writing, thankfully. And uh, even though he's probably one of the smartest men to, to be pope, uh, his writing is so clear, it's accessible. Uh, it's very edifying. So I think long term, that's what we're going to remember him by. 
Yeah, and Kelsey, I want to go to you next. Uh, you were one of the first reporters this summer on the scene in Missouri when news broke surrounding Sister Wilhelmina Lancaster and, and how her body appeared to be incorrupt uh, four years after her death. What should we know about Sister Wilhelmina, and what is the church saying about her? Well, right now, the bishop and sisters have been very discreet about um, her case. We do know that a lot of people are seeing in this prodigy uh, a sign of the future um, resurrection from the dead and a sign of great hope. Uh, thousands obviously flocked to her um, to her body after the news broke. And um, the most interesting thing about this, though, might be the backstory of her life. She was an African-American woman born in 1924 in segregated St. Louis. She goes on to join the Oblate Sisters of Providence, one of two religious orders open to African-American women. She lives a vocation faithfully through many years there and then experiences a call to found the Benedictine Sisters of Mary, Queen of the Apostles, a thriving religious order full of 44 young women dedicated to contemplation, silence, praying for priests under the rule of St. Benedict. So the backstory is possibly as interesting as um, and as hopeful as the story of her body. And Shannon, I want to go back to you now. Um, you were in Rome in October uh, for the Synod on Synodality's first General Assembly. What was your major takeaway uh, from the Synod summary report from this year? Well, there's a lot in it. It's 42 pages, and it covers a broad range of topics. Um, two things maybe to highlight from it. Uh, first is that the uh, majority of the delegates uh, decided that they wanted to leave the door open to uh, women deacons. That was one of the handful of hot topic, uh, hot button topics that we heard about throughout the Synod. Uh, the second is that the document uh, expresses the desire to give the laity a greater say in decision making, up and including uh, uh, what it's what it calls shared discernment over doctrine, over uh, controversial ethic, uh, ethical issues. So, what would that look like? Uh, we'll have to wait and see. We have about two minutes left or so, um, but Kelsey, I want to go to you next. Uh, another big story. Uh, can you bring us up to speed on the case involving fame artist Father Marco Rupnik? Um, he is facing some serious allegations of sexual and spiritual abuse, and it really rocked the church. Yes, Tracy, this case definitely rocked the church. Here was a Jesuit priest, a world-famous sacred artist, and a spiritual leader who even was called upon to give instructions to the Pope at one point, accused of abuse against women religious that was horrific in nature, in extent of time, and in number of victims. The case was handled in an incredibly confusing manner, first by the religious order, the Jesuits, secondly by the Diocese of Rome, and lastly by the Dicastery of the Doctrine of Faith. And um, towards the end of the Synod on Synodality, it was revealed that Rupnik, having left the Jesuits, is now incarnated as a priest in good standing in, his, in a diocese in his native Slovenia. This sparked a massive outcry, in, and um, many voices within the church, including Cardinal Sean O'Malley, asked the Pope to um, reverse the decision and reopen the case. The Dicastery of the Doctrine of the Faith did that. Um, we don't know, Tracy, how the case will end, but we do know that um, the church and the world is watching to see how committed we are to eradicating abuse and um, attending to the victims of it. 
Uh, Shannon, we have maybe 30 seconds left or so, but I quickly want to get to this. As we know, in November, Pope Francis removed Bishop Joseph Strickland as the Bishop of Tyler, Texas, and uh, there are more recent reports that Pope Francis also stripped Cardinal Raymond Burke of his Vatican housing and salary privileges. Um, what more can you talk to us, uh, tell us about this, and how significant is this news? Well, it, it came as something of a shock to people, and because of the proximity of these two developments, uh, you know, some are putting them together and and seeing in that uh, uh, those actions as portending maybe some sort of uh, crackdown on, on conservative prelates or critics of the Pope. Um, the fact is there's a lot of critics of the Pope and, and conservative prelates who have not been sanctioned, so we have to remember that. And also, uh, we don't know the full story in either case. Uh, the precise reason that Bishop Strickland was removed is something the Vatican hasn't revealed. And as far as the uh, reports about uh, Cardinal Burke, uh, the Vatican hasn't confirmed that either. So uh, it's hard to really know whether those two really do fit together. Well, Shannon, Kelsey, thank you both so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. God bless. Thank you. And we thank you for watching tonight's special Looking Back at 2023. Remember, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, X, and Instagram at EWTN News Nightly. I'm Tracy Sable. Good night and God bless.